All right, guys. Is is it is you can is it coming through that? Okay. I mean, not that not that everyone needs it, right? <laughs> All right. Hey, we're gonna study God's word together. If you guys would have a, your Bible or if you have a bulletin, you can do that. We're going through the book of John. Um, if you look at the very first words, let not your hearts be troubled, these are the words that Jesus says to the disciples shortly after Judas betrays him, shortly after uh, Jesus tells Peter that he's gonna deny him three times. And it's a very similar message to the one that I shared last week as we looked at the character of Jesus in response to Judas's betrayal. And I go, oh no, I'm preaching the same sermon twice. <laughs> That's literally what I thought. I'm like, oh man, it's the same sort of message. But instead of being metaphorical like I was last week, I'm, it's gonna be very direct. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is the title of the message. Let not your hearts be troubled. So if you wanna know the takeaway, if you wanna know what's, what is it that God's word is communicating to me, it is these words, let not your hearts be troubled. And they're apt uh, for me today, just as they are for you, as they were for the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was tried unjustly, and the night that Jesus was sentenced to death. So let us study God's word with these thoughts in our minds. Let our hearts not be troubled. Here's God's word. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of these works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In 2017, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health released the results of a survey that had taken place for the past eight years, up to that. So from 2009 to 2017, they surveyed over 600,000 people on mental health and the uh, things surrounding mental health. And some of the starting, startling statistics I'm gonna share with you from this. From 2009 to 2017, major depression among 20 to 21 year olds doubled, rising from 7% to 15%. Depression surged 69% among 16 to 17 year olds. 
69%. Serious psychological distress, which includes feelings of anxiety and hopelessness, jumped 71% among 18 to 25-year-olds from 2008 to 2017. Twice as many 22 to 23-year-olds attempted suicide in 2017 compared with 2008, and 55% had more suicidal thoughts. The increases were more pronounced among girls and young women. Lastly, by 2017, one out of every, one out of every five 12 to 17-year-old girls had experienced major depression in the previous year. And mind you, all of this data that is being communicated from this survey took place before 2020. I can't imagine what, what the statistics will read eight years from now in light of what has happened in 2020 and 2021. We have a mental health crisis. I don't think it's, it's, it's uh, unknown. Nike, if you guys have been watching the Olympics, Nike has been running commercials that have said mental health is a serious problem. Simone Biles this week in the Olympics, the, the number one gymnast in the world, the, the greatest of all time, had to back out of her, her dream of winning another gold because of mental health. Many are waking up to the reality that we are in the midst of a mental health crisis. The, the study that I, uh, that I quoted from to you certainly mentions the influence of the phones on our, on our psyche, but it goes bigger than that. And it goes much bigger than that. And the problem that we have is far bigger than the social media that we're looking at all the time. We have an anxiety, depression, sadness, frustration, hopelessness problem. Now, a generation ago, many would not even think to go deal with the, 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 the depression and anxiety unless it got really bad. But thankfully, people are waking to the mental health problems that are existing in our world, and they're seeking to get help going to counselors, seeking out groups. I myself am one of those people. And I think these are great things. I love that mental health is finally being acknowledged in our world. But here's the thing. I feel that the prescription that the world is giving for the mental health problems that are certainly there, that certainly exist, the prescriptions that are being given for them will never address the heart of the issue. I see three at least three things that the world is pushing to us to deal with our mental health problems that come, whether it be anxiety, depression, sadness, hopelessness, whatever it might be. The first thing that I see a lot of people doing is numbing, numbing. Pushing away the anxiety and fears by numbing through substances or numbing through video games, whatever it might do, getting a dopamine hit from for various things. Did you know that at the early stages of COVID, alcohol sales were up 75% across the country? Did you know that drug abuse is, is wilder now than it ever has been? I had a man, a friend who doesn't go to our church, tell me in, in good confidence, and I'm not gonna tell you his name, but he's been dealing with all the things that are related to this by drinking more. Pain and frustration numbed through substances. This will never deal with the anxiety and the problems that are at the heart of our core. It just pushes it to another day and pushes it and creates more problems. But not only do we numb, the second thing I see a lot of people doing is denying. That's eh, not so bad. That's just, I'll just shake it off. I'll just deal with it. I'll take a, I'll take a mental day off and it'll be fine. Uh, it's not that bad. 
um, we surround ourselves, people surround themselves with yes people, people who will um, tell them what they wanna hear rather than tell them the truth. But this is just a denial of what's really going on in their heart. The last thing I, that I wanna just at least mention is that we deal with our frustration and anxiety by trying to control it. We try to work hard fighting the circumstances around us. We get angry at those who, who hold the views different than us. We get depressed when we can't change their minds and we can't change the circumstances that we think those people are presenting to us, but we still try to control it. We post on social media, we do whatever we can. And we control and control and control, but in reality, when we try to control and think we can control, it still leaves us with our anxiety. Because anxiety and depression are deeply rooted in our sense of trying to control things. If we control or deny or numb, we're never dealing with, the, with what our hearts need to deal with. Are you, are you familiar with the prescriptions that I've mentioned as you deal with your anxiety and your troubles? I certainly can relate to that. But does anxiety still reside in your heart? Here's the thing. I think John 14 provides us with a prescription that can indeed heal the heart. That is far greater than numbing, denying, and trying to control our situation. Let me remind you what Jesus said at the beginning of our text. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. There's certainly a sense that our hearts can be troubled, but there's also a sense that Jesus says, we cannot let our hearts be troubled. There's a, there's a sense that we can control how our hearts react. Do you hear it? Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, Jesus is saying that our hearts cannot be troubled. We, we, we might not have to deal with the anxiety, the stress, the sadness, the depression that we are going through. And I think Jesus' words lead us to that. And right after he says, let not your hearts be troubled, what does he say? Well, what he says is the prescription. And it's the prescription for all of our hearts that can bring healing. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. The prescription for a heart that is troubled is God himself. It is Christ and him crucified. Of course, what transpires after this moment is really the, the, the heart of what Jesus is telling to his disciples. It's the very reason why they are to believe in God or to trust in God. And there are four reasons why, it's, why you can trust God as, as Jesus talks with his disciples. If you remember, after he explains, Thomas starts interacting, Philip starts interacting with him. And all that transpires from there you, there's four reasons why Jesus is trustworthy and why you and I need to stop looking to booze, to the internet, to video games, to deal with our troubled hearts and start looking to Jesus. Four reasons, there's, there are four Ps, I guess you would call it, the four prescriptions that Jesus gives for us to trust him. And that is this, the place he goes and comes back from, the path he takes to get there, the person he is, and the power he provides. The place, the path, the person, and the power. These are the four reasons Jesus says, trust him. And why 
in trusting him, it can bring healing to your heart. So let's look at the place, the path, the person, and the power. First, the place. After immediately, immediately after his direction to believe in him, he points his disciples to the place he's going. Look at verse two. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now many of us can get so wrapped up in the rooms that Jesus is referring to. The KJV, the King James Version, talks about the mansions that Jesus is going to prepare. And while we can so easily get wrapped up in the mansions and the, 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 this idea that we're gonna have this awesome house with awesome cars in heaven, that's not Jesus' point. The place that Jesus is referring to is the place with God, the place with Jesus himself. And the place that Jesus is referring to is the place that he is going and the place that he will come back and bring us to. Consider one of the reasons why our hearts so often get troubled, why our hearts often get latent with anxiety and fear. The future. The future is unknown to us. We have no control over it. We have no control over our children, over our career, over our death. All of these things are unknown. And yet these things can so often create panic and fear. I mean, I, I know this fear deeply. On Friday night, my daughter was in the hospital because we didn't know what was going on with her. And I was getting updates. They were running CT scans and ultrasounds on her. And I was, you know, 4.30 in the morning, I get one that says that they can't find her appendix. And I don't know what that means. It was actually a really good thing. But at 4.30 in the morning, I'm reading they can't find her appendix. I'm like, oh man, what's going on? I couldn't go to sleep because I feared for my daughter. Now, I think she's got a little cold, it's all good, it's all good. But I know the fear of the future. And yet, Jesus comes to his disciples and the first thing that he addresses right after he says, let not your hearts be troubled, is he points them to the place that he is going. He's pointing them to the future. And he says to them, hey, I'm going there. And I'm gonna be with God and I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna bring you with me also. Now you might be thinking, well, that's so nice to say, but isn't this just like me saying it's going to work out all in the end, but I don't know, have any clue about the end or what's gonna happen? And I think that's certainly a valid claim put onto Jesus, that you're just saying this to say this, to bring comfort, it's false sense of comfort. But here's the thing, we know as Christians that Jesus resurrected from the grave, that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and then on the third day he rose again from the grave. This is so vitally important to the, to the very words that Jesus gives to hearts that are troubled. The resurrection is the hope for the future for all of us. The resurrection is the hope for all of us are the very words that Jesus provides. I'm going to the place that is God himself and one day I will come back and I will bring you there also. In looking at the resurrection, and remembering the resurrection, it brings us peace in the midst of uncertainty. It brings us peace in the midst of our fear of death. In 1555, there were three 
Protestant ministers in Oxford, England, who stood up to the queen's infamous persecution. Her name was Mary, and we know her now through history as Bloody Mary. The three ministers were Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer. Despite Mary's laws that forbid their teachings, Protestant teachings, they continued to preach the gospel. And this brought upon them the great persecution that Mary put upon all of England. So they were found guilty and tried of their teachings that were out of accord with the state. And as a result, they were put on a stake, tied, and then burned. But history has passed along to us a story when those three gentlemen were tied to the stake. Nicholas Ridley looked at his friend Hugh Latimer, or Hugh, excuse me, yeah. Hugh Latimer looked at his friend Nicholas Ridley and he says, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And they faced the persecution and death that so many of us fear with great peace and hope. How? It's the resurrection. It's the words of Jesus. I'm going to a place and I'm coming back to bring you there also. You know, the Apostle Paul called it Jesus' resurrection the first fruits, which means there's more to come. We too will one day be resurrected. And we need not let our hearts be troubled by the fear of such death. We have the resurrection. So fear not your life. Fear not your children's life. And yes, I'm preaching that to myself. Fear not even, the, even our country. Jesus has resurrected. Our destination, the place where we are going, is one that is known and one that we can have confirmed in our heart because of the resurrections. So when fear creeps up in your heart and that begins to trouble it, trust God. Trust Jesus. He is resurrected and he can bring great hope. So we lean and we trust and we believe in Jesus when we have troubled hearts because of the place that he's going. But we also can lean on Jesus because of the path that he took. So secondly, not only the place, but now the path brings us great comfort in the midst of our troubled heart. Now with such a profound statement, such as I'm taking you to the place of God that he made to his disciples, we shouldn't be shocked that the disciples had some questions, especially after Jesus said to them, and you know the place where I'm going in verse four. Thomas, of course, is like, what are you talking about? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him very famously, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We really wanna control our future. I think that's the, the reality of everything, and I think it's the reality of Thomas too. Okay, you're going to a place? Where does Thomas immediately go? What's our way? How do we get there? What are we doing? And what does Jesus point them to? He points them to himself. He points them to himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So many people 
in the church, people who, who have known Jesus for so long and for many generations, they think, okay, Jesus has saved me. Now show me the way. I gotta, I gotta make my way to Jesus. It's like, did you not listen to the whole message of Jesus being the way? We fall into this. And one of the ways we know that we fall into this is that when we mess up, we start to beat ourselves up. Like, how can you not be on the way? You should be, you should be doing and loving better and, and doing more. And you should be doing, how could you not do that? And it becomes this cycle in our mind. What we're thinking, deeply what we're thinking is, I need to be on the way. This is exactly what Thomas was doing. But my friends, trying to control your way to the Father is only going to breed frustration and depression. Why do I say that? Because you, in any of your own power, will never be able to be in the presence of a holy God. Left to yourself, the holy God will push you away. The Bible makes it very clear God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. In fact, God needs to punish sin. And so we have a sin problem, even after we might have prayed a prayer. How do we deal with that sin problem? I am the way, Jesus says. Do you recall where Jesus goes after this time with his disciples? He goes to his death. He goes to the place of his suffering. How do we make sense of Jesus' sufferings? We make sense of it through the words of the Apostle Paul. He became sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus had to suffer and die. His way was suffering and dying for the sins of his people. And so the only way a sinful people can be in the presence of a holy God is through an atonement, through those sins being punished and paid for. And this is what Jesus willingly did. This is the way he walked and the truth he bared. He went to the cross bearing our sin, bearing our shame, and experience the just payment for our sins that we in turn might be made righteous in him by faith. How do we get to be with the Father? How do we get to the place? We wanna know, tell us what we need to do. And Jesus says, I'm the way. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It is a simple, simple, but very difficult and humble act on our part to say, I can't do it, but I'm gonna trust you can. And I'm leaning on that. Jesus points us to the path, and the path is not a path that you or I can walk. It is a path that only Jesus can walk. I wanna encourage you now that if you think that you can somehow Make your way to God in your own obedience, in your own acts, that you stop, that you stop troubling your heart, trying to get to a place that is impossible to get to, and that you stop, you rest, and you believe in the way, which is Jesus himself. You see, it is only his path, and him walking down that path, that gets us to the place. So the text tells us to trust God, but trust God because he's going to a place and he's walked a path for you. 
But there's a third reason why we can trust Jesus, and that's the, three, the third reason is the person that Jesus is describing. It's the person. Now, Philip, he's confused too. He has no idea what's, what's going on. And so Philip goes, Jesus, just, just show us the Father. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness. Philip, my man, have you not been with me the whole time? And then he begins to describe how the Father and Jesus are one, one and the same. So Jesus is getting very theological. So, so, so mind you, churches across the board, people are going less theological these days. They wanna go further away to try to deal with their problems and deal with this. But Jesus, to deal with the problems gets very, very theological. And I think that's a, it's a good lesson for us. Let us not run from doctrines and important doctrines. Let us not run from, from theologies that make our minds hurt. Let us run to them. For this is the very thing that Jesus provides Philip. The Father and the Son are one. Now why is the person so vital to a troubled heart? Why is Jesus being one with the Father and the Father one with him, so vitally important. Well, there's a, there's a modern day theologian named John Miller, and I'm just gonna quote him because his quote is so much better than anything that I can try to preach or communicate to you. And he's, he's just parroting or, or modernizing what an uh, 11th century theologian Anselm says. And this is what he says, and this is why the person of Jesus is so important to the, to the, to the hope that, that we can have in our heart. This is what John Miller says. We have offended an infinite God, so we owe him an infinite debt. But as finite creatures, we are incapable of repaying that debt. It is a debt that man owes, but that only God can pay. In other words, we have a God-sized debt, but we are only man-sized. How can we pay? We need a God-sized man to pay. And Jesus, the God-sized man, has paid the God-sized debt. You wanna know why the person of Jesus is so important. You wanna know why the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which we recite here all the time, are so important. Because our salvation is on the line. The only way that Jesus can walk the path that he walked and bring us to the place that he promises us to bring us to is because of the uniqueness of his person. That he is one with the Father and the Father is one with him. Theology can be a significant benefit to our souls. So when we doubt, how in the world can a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago and raising from the dead 2,000 years ago be so significant? How, seriously, have you ever thought about that? How is that so significant for us? Because it's the God-sized man paying the God-sized debt for us. You lose the God-sized man, Jesus, one with the Father, you lose all of that. So Jesus points his disciples to his person that it might bring them comfort when they start to doubt, did that, re am I really forgiven? It yes. I and the Father are one, Jesus tells them. And he tells that to us. And this theological construct is so vital to the bedrock of our hearts. So Jesus 
points us to the place that he's going and will come bring us back to. He points us the path that he goes down. He points us to the person. But lastly, he points us to the power that is provided for his people in his absence. His physical absence, I should say. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see what Jesus is communicating in these three verses? He is making his power accessible to his people through prayer in his name. I mean, this text could be a sermon in and of itself, and I'm not gonna get into all the nitty-gritty details. I wanna just look at it from like a 10,000-foot perspective. Consider the moment that Jesus is communicating this to the disciples. They've just spent three years, the disciples, three years with Jesus, watching him do some of the most amazing things that they'd ever seen in their lives. Thousands being fed by, by th- you know, a few loaves of bread and some fish. People being healed of their blindness. People lame from birth, standing up and walking. People who are dead and in a tomb, standing up and walking out of the tomb. They're going, wow, these are some incredible things. This is unbelievable. Jesus, don't leave us. We want to continue seeing these awesome things. We want to continue to see your power go forth. And what does he tell them? He tells them, greater works than these will he do through you. It's so easy to be discouraged when we lose our leader, when we lose the person we've been holding on to and and seeking direction. It's like when you're 18 year old and you go off to college for the first time, It's, it's it's a kind of a, you know, like I don't have my parents anymore, it's fun. You know what I'm talking about, Chris. <laughs> it's fun, but it's very discombobulating. And it can create a lot of fear and anxiety. And this is exactly what these disciples are about to go through. We don't have our Lord. But Jesus reminds them, no, there's still a power. I'm going to the Father, but you pray to me, and I pray to the Father. And we will do some incredible things in my name. Fear not. Fear not my absence. I am still with you. We have power, friends. Power in the name of Jesus. We should not fear things that feel um, insurmountable. Whether that be a friend that we long for them to know Jesus and we just pray for them, but it doesn't seem you realize the power of God is far greater than their resistance to his, to their, to, to, I confused myself and lost my thought, but you get what I'm saying. God regenerated your heart and made you trust him. He can do the same with your friends who've been hardened. Would you pray for them though? God can do incredible things. He has made his power accessible to us and so we should not fear or, 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 or be Afraid. That doesn't mean God's going to answer every one of your prayers that are prayed in the name of Jesus. That's why that's a sermon in and of itself. But he has promised to make his power available to us. And thus we should not fear. 
About once a month, I'll provide my last name for a food order at a restaurant. Hey, can I get a name? Yeah, Anderson. And almost like once a month, it's inevitable. Uh, if the person is a fan of the movie, The Matrix, I don't know if you know The Matrix. It's a movie that came out like when I was in high school, college, or whatever it was. It's almost inevitable when they hear my last name. You guys probably already know what this, what this is. I think some of you have done it before to me. Mr. Anderson. And I just, at this point, I'm just like, whoa, okay, yep, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. If you're not familiar with the movie The Matrix, I, that's leading into this, this part of The Matrix. Part of the story does deal with Mr. Anderson. But one of the crux is that The Matrix main character has a choice between two pills. One is a pill that will allow him to live in his life and he won't, he'll be ignorant of all that's going on behind the scenes. And the other pill is one where he is welcomed into the matrix, where he can see all that goes behind what makes the world spin. And in some ways, I'm putting before you two pills. Now, not the same pills of one that's gonna bring you into to the matrix or ones that leave you in ignorance, but I am presenting to you two pills to take. One is a pill to continue to numb, deny, and control your anxiety. The other is a pill to trust the Lord. And what I've been saying today is to take the pill, trust in God. That in taking this pill, you won't, you won't just kind of, you know, feel better for a moment, kind of like the way that Tylenol makes you feel for a little bit but doesn't heal you'll actually begin to heal. Trust the Lord. Why should you take it? You should take it because of the place that Jesus went and the place that Jesus will come back to bring us to. You should take it because Jesus is the one who walked the path that was necessary to get to the Father. And Jesus was uniquely the person that could bring us to the Father. And Jesus is the one, through his power, that can calm our fears and can face and overcome insurmountable and uncontrollable circumstances. Trust the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, it's, it's fitting to confess because how often do I not uh, follow your command to not let my heart be troubled? So often do I live my days with a troubled heart. So often do I take the pill that numbs, denies, or controls situations. I think I've done it probably a few times this morning amidst the, the, the uncontrolled nature of this morning. It happens to me even then. But your word has reminded us that, that we have you, a trustworthy and amazing God who, who can provide the prescription for our troubled hearts. And so Lord, where that's fitting in each of our hearts today, I pray that you would remind us of the reasons why we, we should not fear, why we should not be anxious, and that's you. Would you help us and assist us in this process, not only through singing songs to you and 
reflecting on who you are and what it is you've done, but also in taking the Lord's Supper. Would you do this? That it might guide us. I pray this in Jesus' name.